Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. Hi. <laughs> we are a feisty bunch this morning, or maybe it's just me that's feisty. Oh, I had my, my jollies coming up to Santa Barbara this morning. You had your jollies? Yeah. I got my exposure to uh, California Logic. Mm. Yeah, they, they're doing construction on the 101 freeway, and at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Friday, they're closing. The, oh, it's the Thursday? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> that happens when you're on the road. In the beast and and on a thursday at 10 o'clock in the morning they closed the fast lane so they could use a sweeper <laughs> well this is in la you know um, oh my god it's just so dumb can't you what's wrong with sweeping at like two in the morning nobody wants to be up at two in the morning <laughs> oh my god all right so i you know this is one of those podcasts where because i've been sick and we've missed out a couple times yeah I got a pig pile. Pig pile. Of mind addict stuff that needs to be cleared out. So I hope you're going to bear with me today. We all love you. I'm going to start with some, some just some basic stuff. I want to congratulate Business of Being Born on their 15 year yeah. uh, anniversary. I got to watch, I watched it again. I signed up and I watched it again. I hope people will do that. Uh, Can't believe it's been 15 years. Yeah. Right? So, by the way, first of all, it's really good to be right next to you. Yeah, I know. I'm it glad is. you're here. It's I'm great. You made it. Great energy. I had a really, about last couple of days, I took the beast in to get some tune-up stuff done in Los Angeles at Ken, my Calabasas dealer, because I trust him, which is, like I we talk about on the podcast all the time, if you find a practitioner, whether it be a RV dealer or a gynecologist that you trust, stick with that person. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah. It's worth it. Across state lines. That's amazing. To actually. Get, <laughs> to get to get your RV fixed. Right. So why not do it for the for birth of your baby? That is correct. There you go. I get it. And I got to see Beth and Alex and my friend Lauren. And I went on a bike ride. I had my electric bike. I had lunch with my ex and my son Andy. And we had it was it's been a really great couple of days. I crammed a lot in. You know. <laughs> well, I, you know, I was home for like five days after running around like crazy back to New York and in Colorado. And then I got sick. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. not surprised either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about the homestead at another time. I think it's great. I got some, I started planting my vegetables and stuff like that. All right. It's all great. So I want to start out like just saying something like, uh, "How are you, Bliss? How are you, Bliss? Oh, I'm always in so much trouble. I'm good. Thanks for. <laughs> all right, tell us how good you are. How good actually, are you? I'm not that great, but I love you, and I'm glad to be doing this. And you're drinking coffee, which is pretty amazing because she doesn't drink coffee. We are recording actually at our friend Melissa Drake's house because my Wi-Fi has been really crappy. But you drove all the way to find us a spot with Wi-Fi. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> Melissa Drake was nice enough. Dr. Drake was nice enough to offer her us her house. Yeah, and we've got a lot to do today, so we're gonna we're gonna do a bunch of other things, but we're gonna start with this podcast. Yeah. right now. So, so she brought us some, she brought us some coffee and you don't normally drink coffee. And so I was like, you're drinking coffee. You're like, 
Yeah. I'm like, why would you start drinking coffee in life? You know, I'll tell you why I started drinking coffee, because I I went to this hot springs in Colorado with a friend of mine who's from uh, Boulder and pregnant and was taking her last hurrah. And so she wanted somebody to go with her. And I said, I'd go. And it was great. Mm -hmm. But she's a coffee drinker. And so she said, let's try some coffee one day. And I said, "Okay," And I did. And as long as you put a lot of stuff in it. Yeah, it's it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, if it tastes like sugar or cream or or yes. chai or whatever that is, other stuff is exactly that's fine exactly right okay fair enough so i'm leaving in a little less than two weeks to go on my love more tour point 2.0 so i'll be gone from santa barbara this whole summer traveling around in hope for the first month and and then i've got a bunch of other things i'm doing this summer so i'm kind of just like getting ready to wrap it up and let go of the lease that I had and all of that. So you know how that is when you're going to be gone from home and you don't really yeah, know I, what you're coming you back did, You did to. it first and I did it last year. And yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to put on that mentality again, like the adventurous, like take it one day at a time and just kind of see where things go. But there's a little bit of anxiety, I have to say. So I'm kind of in the middle of... Well, whenever of you that. have changed, that's normal. But I was interesting because I was thinking the other day that I'm feeling far more content Maybe it's because I have a homestead. Maybe it's because I'm not on call. Maybe it's not because I'm stuck, like on, it's stuck in traffic on the 101 freeway. Yeah. But I'm wondering if it's, if it's easier for me now because I'm just older and I'm sort of financially okay. That helps. Or has it just been beaten into submission? <laughs> the other one better because it's more optimistic. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Speaking of beating into submission, I just have some dumb things that I have to talk about. Real you quick. have to. I do. Yeah, I know. And I think I think the listeners like this stuff because they get a lot of feedback on that. We right on, Stu. You keep doing this and you keep doing that. Yeah, right. We love your brain emptying. So I'm getting spam texts lately. You're probably getting them. Everybody's probably getting them too. But (laughs) I got one that was really unique the other day. I got a spam text guilting me for not responding to a previous spam text. (laughs) Did it work? No, guilty. I deleted it and reported it as, as trash too. I like that one. Yeah, you can do that now. I don't think it makes any difference, though. I think it's just to make you feel better. (laughs) It does. (laughs) Because I still get the same people spamming me all the time. Then when I was with Beth the other day, I noticed over the 101 freeway in Agoura, they're building a wildlife bridge to go across the freeway. Apparently, some animals were getting killed on the freeway. But here's my question, and you know what my question is. How will they know to go? <laughs> How are the animals going to know? And they're going to they're going to be five miles downstream, and they're going to go, yeah, we can't cross here. We have to we have to go up the way and cross it's too the bridge. Dangerous. How are they going to get the animals to cross the bridge? I mean, they're spending, look, in a state that has no money, I understand we love animals. We do. All right. right. <laughs> but how about building some bridges that make it easier for people to cross the freeway? <laughs> no, I don't know. This is just, this is just the nutty stuff that, that goes on. And so. Um, <laughs> I want to also reiterate on a serious note, I want to reiterate anybody listening, if you have a breach provider in your area, please send me an email with the person's name and location because I am getting my map. I know. I love red. it. He's going to put a map in his office. Mm-hmm. And, little red dots. And on. little red dots with providers. It'll eventually move beyond that. But for right now, that's how you're organizing it. Okay. So then I have a statement that I want to make. I want to say that maternal fetal medicine doctors are for the most part a scam. That's a pretty big statement. Yeah. Yeah. You know why they're a scam? I want to hear what you have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, here's my thing. How many, what what percentage of patients are high risk generally? Really really high risk. Really high risk. Right. I I don't know. 2%, 5%. Okay. 10%, 15%, whatever it is. Okay. 
All right. Mm-hmm. How many patients in Santa Barbara go through their pregnancy without seeing a maternal fetal medicine specialist? Almost none. Right. Yeah. Probably like just the ones that go to Midwest right. here. Yeah. So in Santa Barbara, maternal fetal medicine doctor sees everyone here pretty yeah. much that yeah. group. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe only 10 to 15%. So they're seeing 85% of people don't need to be seen. Yeah. Now, here's the real question. What are the OBs in this town doing? Or what are the OBs that are sending people who aren't high risk to MFMs doing? What are they trained for? Are they just covering? Well, they are, I'm asking this as a rhetorical question. Mm-hmm. They're just covering their butts. Why do you need to send a pregnant person to a maternal fetal medicine specialist? Oh, to do your 20-week ultrasound? Okay. Well, you could learn that yourself. You don't have to necessarily send them. But you know that that maternal fetal medicine specialist is 90% of the time going to find a reason that there's something that they'll have to bring them back again for another scan. And on and on, the that's why I called them a scam. Because they do good work on maybe 10% of people. Right. But they're seeing 90% of people. Yeah, overkill. So do the math. Okay, that's it. Here's a good one. What's the definition of a physician? Any physician? Yeah. What's the definition of a physician? You can read it. Read, read, read definition number one. Okay, here we go. Okay. A person trained and licensed to practice medicine, a medical doctor. That makes sense, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now read definition number two and see if you agree with this. <laughs> a person who heals or exerts a healing influence. Okay. So that's the second definition. Yeah. How many doctors do we know exert healing influence? I mean, don't you hear? I mean, our listeners, I, I know, look, I'm being snarky, but our listeners know because they send us stories time after time. Their clients, their doulas especially, will send us stories about their clients going to the doctor and leaving the doctor's office at 10 weeks pregnant, all, all worried about stuff. It's not very healing. It's not a healing influence. No. Right. Just wanted to make that very strong point that their, their doctors are duty bound to heal. And doing all these things, some of the letters that we're going to talk about today, and we've talked about on previous past, like we did on the LA, uh, LA Live, the, <laughs> the, uh, the Instagram Live and stuff, we, we're going to talk about uh, silly things that doctors do. But just keep that in mind, that that's a definition. It's a second definition right out of, I don't know, it's Wikipedia or what, where I just searched, I did a search on DuckDuckGo. And a person who heals or exerts a healing influence. Yeah, like an naturopath. Yes. Or a chiropractor. Yes. Those are doctors too. Well, they actually say that. One who practices the art of healing disease and preserving health, Mm -hmm. a prescriber of remedies for sickness. uh, And you don't necessarily have to be a medical doctor to be a physician. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I just want to go through a couple of things here because um, I mentioned in a previous podcast how ACOG took millions of dollars. I think it's come out through a FOIA, uh, which is a Freedom of Information Act request that they took over $11 million from the CDC to promote COVID shots in pregnant women. Mm. All right. So there's a woman I follow, her name's Dr. Lori, and I follow her on Twitter. And she wrote this. And I just think that it's important that people understand this. COVID vaccine should not be used in pregnant women, unborn and newborn babies or children. And she doesn't mince words about it. She doesn't say, you know, if you're a high risk or this or that, you should not be taking this. And she says it has recently been exposed that ACOG, the primary professional membership organization for U.S. OBGYNs, received millions by federal government agencies for pushing pregnant women to take COVID vaccines, still in the experimental phase while there is no safety data available. Receipt of the grant money was contingent on ACOG's full compliance with CDC guidance on COVID, which by now has been proven fatally wrong on many levels. In exchange for money, 
ACOG abdicated its own medical responsibility. I don't believe that they think that that's their responsibility, by the way. Abusing the trust of vulnerable patients to become a mouthpiece for the federal government that stood to gain financially from the prescribed pharmaceutical products. Apparently, the government made at least $400 million from Moderna vaccine. I don't, I don't understand that because I think they paid for the development of the vaccine. So is that $400 million over the billions they spent they gave to Moderna? I don't know. But the government made a lot of money. And so the, the government went to agencies. And it's very insidious what they did. But anyway, ACOG's behavior and failure to disclose its significant conflicts of interest put pregnant women as well as their babies at risk. Right. Another reason why trust in medicine is at an all time low. Yeah. Right. Which is why I drove to Calabasas <laughs> to get my RV fixed. Well, there's, you know, there's correlations and all this. Is stuff. he a, does he have healing influence over your RV? <laughs> she does. Oh, she. Yeah. Wow. So, Lu, Lu, I'm going to give her a shout out. Lupita. She is. She's great. the mechanic. She's the one that runs the. Okay. The, 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 like, Adolfo's the mechanic. But. Oh, okay. That's very sexist of me to assume that all. Mechanics are men, but I haven't really worked with a female. Well, she was she was changing the oil yesterday when I got when I came to pick it up. So yeah, pregnant women are rightfully told to avoid all non-essential drugs, especially if they are new, even certain foods during pregnancy. This is a cornerstone of ethical medicine. As a doctor who has worked with pregnant women in the past, and as a systemic reviewer that has developed treatment guidelines for organizations such as the WHO, including for pregnant women, I appeal to any parent and doctor. Do not use the novel mRNA COVID vaccines in pregnancy with unborn and newborn babies of child or children. They can have severe, even fatal side effects. They are not safe to use. That's Dr. Tess Lori, Twitter at Lori spelled L A W R I E underscore doctor. That's your Twitter handle. On top of that, when I talk about being insidious, mm -hmm. there's something here that's really, really under. You have to understand how they look at you, the consumer. How they look at you, the average citizen. These people. I don't know who these people are. I don't know how they were raised. I don't know where they abdicated their responsibility to be a member of the human race, but but they're not human, all right? So market research impacts every element of the COVID campaign from the beginning, from overall strategy to early paid advertising, social media posting, and other mass strategies. The need for interpersonal interactions with physicians, ministers, family, and community members was clear from the initial market research conducted in the fall of 2020. So how can we get people to take a product that isn't tested and isn't safe, marketing, let's market, okay? Let's not consider the ethical implications of our marketing, let's just market, because mm -hmm. that's our job. That happens very common. Yep. While the first phase of campaign initially focused on mass media, later on it shifted to the more trusted messenger and community orientation with outreach focused at the community level. Health and Human Services campaign to push the COVID-19 vaccines entered its third phase in 2022 and has evolved into a highly targeted approach using both paid and earned media strategies. HHS, which is your government, focuses more on precision marketing to identify subgroups with vaccine hesitancy, working direct, like pregnant women, working directly with communities and using trusted messengers. I think they misunderstand what they've done to our trusted messenger system. Mm -hmm in those communities to deliver messages without the federal government being directly involved, even though the information is coming from the federal government. We saw this with them trying to influence Facebook and Twitter to ban certain people, but not telling them to ban it, just telling them, this, this is misinformation, you should take a good look at this. Mm -hmm. By the way, we have regulatory control over your, over your agency, so if you don't take a good look at it, maybe this is what's gonna happen. So basically it's called a near-perfect Trojan horse. 
A pregnant patient's relationship with her OBGYN is arguably one of the most intimate and sacred physical patient relationships in all of medicine. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. That's why she's the best co-host. I'm all, it's not, they're not quite hitting the mark, but it is that. Well, that's the impression. Yeah. Right. Should be. Pregnant mothers trust their OBGYN doctor. Shouldn't necessarily. Yeah. (laughs) With the most intimate and sensitive information about their own bodies. Government capture of ACOG would provide access to and influence over near-perfect Trojan horses. Listen how they're talking to you. Mm -hmm. To market the CDC's pro-vaccine message. As OBGYN patients, women have been referred to as a brand powerhouse. This, this, this is the terminology. This is not without good reason. Marketing, strategy, study, marketing studies have shown that women reportedly make a full 90% of all healthcare decisions about their household. Which the is women about, do. Yeah, yeah, the mothers do. Mm-hmm. Wives. Mm-hmm. Convincing women to take a COVID-19 shot was almost a guarantee that they would become pro-COVID-19 vaccine messengers within their own family. All right. I could go on. This thing, this thing goes on and on and on and on and on. But the focus, they ran focus groups. In the in fall of 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they to try to figure this stuff out, how they were going to push this vaccine, which hadn't been tested. Actually, FOIA documents tell you now that Pfizer and Moderna knew that it wasn't safe and it didn't prevent transmission and it didn't prevent infection and all that stuff. And maybe even had negative efficacy. All right. You want to go for the low end. And when you say when you say negative efficacy, you mean that it actually could cause harm? Yes, it made people people with a, multiple vaccines were more likely to re-catch COVID than mm-hmm. people who had COVID once and recovered with natural immunity. So every time you get a shot, it actually lowers your banged your immune system and smashed your immune system again. So now you were more susceptible to it. Yeah. That's there's great data on that from around the world on yeah. that. Yeah. But listen how they talk. You want to go for the low-hanging fruit. Those that are easiest to pick and harvest, noting that the focus should be on finding locally influential people to push the vaccines. People trust their own doctors, their own nurses, their own pastors, and their own social network. So we just need to do that same strategy for good. Okay. For choice and informed consent. And well, we are because we're yeah. we're effect we're we're reaching women who make 90% of the healthcare decisions. Great. Right. Because 90% of our audience, at least, mm-hmm. is women. Probably. I haven't looked at it, but in my, like, Instagram. I know that I, I know that I'm one of the few men that listens to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Other, other men may be forced to, as women are driving in their car, listening mm-hmm. to the podcast and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So just briefly, gaslighting the public, which is sort of what they, they did with COVID, has been going on for a long time. And I'm not going to dive into this article because for time, but uh, the FLCCC, which is the frontline... Oh, I forgot, I forgot what it, what that stands for. Uh, but they came out with the, they had a big protocol that they came out with for uh, COVID treatment with ivermectin. But nonetheless, they're, they're a good bunch of doctors. Mm-hmm. You can look it up while we're talking. FLCCC. Um, the infant formula industry's massive PR campaign against breastfeeding, which went on in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And here's a thought. She writes, my parents were 19 and 21 when they got married. They did not come from money. Dad was a high school dropout, and mom's higher education consisted a year of secretarial school. When my sister and I were born, my parents shared a single clunker of a car and lived with my aunt and uncle. Mom made her own clothes and cut our hair, not because she was especially good at it. Um, (laughs) I was nearly 30 when I got married and 33 when I had my first daughter. While struggling to nurse her one day, I asked my mom if she'd ever had any issues breastfeeding. This is that she's 33 years old. She doesn't know the answer to this question yet. And her mom says, I didn't breastfeed you, she laughed. 
You only did that if you couldn't afford formula. I guess it must have escaped her that she really couldn't afford formula. <laughs> they were poor living with their aunt and uncle in a one-bedroom apartment. But but they did it anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's her her brainwashing said that only poor people breastfeed. Yeah. She was a poor person, yeah. but even then she wasn't going to breastfeed. And that's and that's how they really moved people away from home birth into the hospital as well. That became the thing that like if you had money and and a lot of like um, other cultures and stuff that are are here believe that only poor people would be the ones that would deliver at home. And if you have money and the ability to get these services, that's where you would want to go. So that's been used for a long time to manipulate family. Yeah. Infant formula was originally created as a life-saving option for women who are unable to nurse. But soon though, the infant formula industry launched a massive PR campaign to portray breastfeeding as poor mom sport Yep. and push their lucrative imitation on alternatives instead. I remember this. I think we've talked about this in the podcast before, where mm-hmm. when I first started in practice, they wined and dined us in our office. They brought us nice lunches. They gave us these foo-foo gift bags to give to all the pregnant women that contained Similac or Infamil and a bunch of coupons and yeah. some cute baby stuff and all that stuff, because all they had to do was get them hooked. Yep. So the campaign was wildly successful, knocking nursing levels to around 20% in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, biology, most natural act became biology's second most natural act. <laughs> First being sex. What else is there? Birth. Well, that could be. I think they were talking sex, though. So. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> it's not blowing your nose. That's not a natural act. It is. Well, By the way, you know the old joke about fun. what can run and run and run all day long and never get tired. Refrigerator? Everybody, says, everybody <laughs> says refrigerator. You know what? You're like the fourth person that said refrigerator. That's true. That's a proper answer, but your you nose. From the movie Dave, I think. Great movie, by the way. Dave, Kevin Klein. Mm-hmm. All right. Today, more than 80% of U.S. moms nurse their babies. Gosh, wouldn't it be great if, <laughs> if home birth had that kind of resurgence that breastfeeding has? Wouldn't that be great? If what? Say again. 80%. You said now 80% of women are breastfeeding again, where it had taken a huge dip. Yeah. In the past, I said, wouldn't it be great if home birth had that mm. resurgence in the same way that breastfeeding did? That would be amazing. 80%. Yeah, we just don't have the infrastructure to handle 80% of people giving birth at home right now. Yeah, we'll deal with that. Okay. <laughs> I'd, I'd settle for like 8% to start. Yeah, we'll settle for that too. So anyways, the FLCCC is Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. Thank you. You're welcome. But obviously they do other stuff because they're talking about breastfeeding stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so we talked about, oh, I forgot to mention Beth's story about Anthem. And by the way, Beth is a midwife from Los Angeles, an extraordinary midwife from Los Angeles that we have worked very closely with. She's one of my friends and mentors. Yeah. You know, I got introduced yesterday by somebody, by Alex, actually, to one of her clients Mm -hmm. as a legend. You are. And (laughs) so I corrected her and I said, I'm a living legend. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still here. Yeah, I'm still here. Like, well, like Marston Wagner is a, is a legend. Right. I don't know. Oh, Marston, he's in the, he's in business of being born. He's there. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you know who he is. Yes, you just yes, didn't, yes. You would be blanked on. <laughs> I know you. I know you blanked on. You were like doing some re- outside reference, right? Yeah, he's a he's a living. Just important that I'm a li- that I, that I'm living. living. And Beth is Beth is one of the midwives I would consider to be a living legend in mm-hmm. in the west side of Los Angeles. Yeah. So, what was her story? Well, her story is this: we were talking about things yesterday, and she was frustrated because she'd spent forty five minutes on the phone for like the umpteenth time. 
when she bills Blue Cross for her patients to try to get their patients' money back. That's us directly? No, no. She patients oh. pay her. Uh-huh. Then she files a, she gives them a super bill. Uh-huh. Then they fill out a super bill. Mm-hmm. And then Blue Cross mails the check to Beth. Uh-huh. But Beth had moved out of her old office three years ago. Mm-hmm. She has since tried to change the address at Blue Cross. They have her new address, but they can't delete her old address. So all the checks are going to the old address, which no longer forwards. So the patients get upset because they Blue Cross tells them the money was mailed to your practitioner. The practitioner says, I never got it. And she can't get Blue Cross to just delete the old address. Mm -hmm. You know, she was on for 45 minutes. She was talking to a human being that worked at Blue Cross Anthem. And she said, well, that's not my department. I can't do that. I'll have to transfer you someplace else. Mm-hmm. So they can't do anything. So I have a whole thing like more on big is worse. I have a letter from Anita and I just wanted to talk a couple of things about, you know, we, we did a podcast called Complicating the Simple. Um, these things are done. I think that these things that are complicated are done to really hurt the small practitioner and to drive the small practitioner out of practice so that corporate medicine can take the complete takeover. Um, we were just talking to Dr. Drake about some new test that's coming out, but but was something about cancer. Yeah, but it was going to be like something mm-hmm. about making it more difficult for the private practitioner to practice. I don't remember how we got into that. Mm-hmm. But I just want to read I want to read this and then I have a couple other things that are related to this. Again, the, the theme on this is that big is worse. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that number one biological important thing you do. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering if anyone who works at FQHC, whatever that is another federal organization, is running into issues regarding reimbursement for long-acting reversible contraception from Medi-Cal patients, which is Medicaid. Now that Medi-Cal coverage is extended for one year postpartum, my organization is not getting reimbursed for, I think they're talking about IUDs, so I'm just going to say IUDs, all right? This essentially makes an IUD placement in a Medi-Cal patient a net loss of money for each placement and creates a barrier and disincentive to provide patients with counseling and access to effective long-acting reversible contraception postpartum. This is the opposite of what I we have been trying to do, and I believe is unintended result of the attempt to improve postpartum care and access. I don't think these people think stuff out. We'll extend postpartum care and coverage for a year, but we won't cover <laughs> contraception mm-hmm. that's actually very efficient, not hormonal, uh, if you're going to talk about something that you want to not keep keep medicines out of your body, the problem is, is that with an IUD, you pay for it once yep. and they're good for three, five, eight, 10 years. Pharmaceutical companies don't make money from that. Right. But birth control pills, plan B, other stuff, True. they make money from. True. So I don't really know, but these this is a fellow of ACOG, her name's Anita, and she's just complaining that in the way of trying to help Medi-Cal or Medicaid patients postpartum get better access to care, they're screwing them over or they're screwing the practitioner over. All right. Then I got this in the mail. This is from Medicare. Uh, This is about a credentialing course that you can take to learn how to credential yourself with Medicare so that you can accept 12 cents on the dollar and be happy about it. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It's called a detailed guide to providing credentialing. Now, I just want to read a little bit. You'll see why. I think I've done this before on the show. Webinar features a comprehensive step-by-step guide to provider credentialing, including over 10 printable and customizable forms. 10 forms. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to gag on your coffee. I just noticed. Okay. Uh, I'm just so grateful. I don't For payer application cover letters. So we have 10 forms for cover letters. Provider documentation requirements, verification of documentation, CV requirements, application submission, payer linkage, 
provider revalidation, employment history, and much more. And much more. Exclamation point. <laughs> it's fun being sitting right next to you because you can see what I'm reading. It's great. <laughs> you will be provided tracking tools to aid in the tracking verification of provider documents and paying application tracking and payer application tracking. Additionally, you will learn how to set up, maintain CAQH, PICOS, NIPAs, and identity and management credentialing documentation requirements, verification and validation of documents, payer application requirements, prep submission of payer enrollment application packages, and the key items to complete once the credentialing process. I don't know what you're talking about. Does anybody? Yeah. What? Yeah. (laughs) Only Owen Bliss. It's only 60 minutes of your time. To learn how to do this, how many pri- how many practitioners who have a small practice, and why would you? I feel bad for Medicare patients because more and more people are going to opt out of Medicare. Well, actually, that's you know that gets back to the idea of paying for what's what has value, and don't go to somebody simply because they're the cheapest. No, okay, right? <laughs> There's some oh, things right. you don't want to do that with. Freaking God, I'll stop there. But it goes Please. on. It goes on. <laughs> There. <laughs> All right. Elements a tasty electrolyte drink. They've been sponsoring us for a while with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means a lot of salt and, and with no sugar, as you like to say, none of the BS, just like us. It's formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs. It's perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low carb, paleo diet, but not for our pregnant patients who shouldn't be on any of those. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it's good for pregnant women. It's good for postpartum women. It's good for uh, birth workers. It's good for people who are outside working out. Summer's coming on. It's going to be hot and sweaty. Yeah. And it's grapefruit season. I just got my box. Yeah. Well, not only is it grapefruit season, but but they also comes in a bunch of other flavors. Yeah. Watermelon, citrus, orange, raspberry, raw, your favorite. Mango chili. Lemon and chocolate, raspberry. Lemon course. habanero. Lemon habanero. What is a habanero anyway? It's a, it's a spicy chili. Okay. Yeah. There you go. You know, the other day I was at a very long birth and we went to get some electrolytes for the mom to see if we could help her with some of the things that she was dealing with. And we, every one of the birth workers that was there had some too. We're like, we all need it. Let's all have some element. Yeah. And, it, com- and it comes in a little packet so that you, you don't have any waste. Right. Like Great. throwing bottles away and stuff like that. You can just use it in your reusable container. We love that. That sort of thing. So we love that. So you go to drink element, that's drink L-M-N-T dot com backslash birthing instincts and you get a free sample pack with any order. Great. Thanks, Element. Thank you. Okay, so I wanted to move on to some letters and things I got from people. Okay, I can read one if you want. Uh, okay, well, this one's under the category of more things to worry about. Would you like to read it? Do you want me to read the whole thing? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Hi, Dr. Sue and Bliss. I recently came across your podcast and I cannot get enough. We try. I listen while gardening, cleaning, and working out. Needless to say, it's addicting. That's cool. I am 35. It is. I thought it said I'm 35 years old pregnant. I am 35 years old and pregnant with my fourth. We are planning our first home birth. To be to be addicted? People be addicted to our show? Yeah. That's okay. It's a good thing. I mean, addiction, no, it's not good. Right. There However. No, I, I know. Good, I, I know. I was, I was just being yeah. contrary. Yeah. We're planning. Shockingly. <laughs> We're planning our first home birth. First with, was a hospital with epidural. Second, hospital unmedicated. And third, hospital unmedicated. Here's my question. While interviewing my midwife, her assistant, who is a nurse midwife, mentioned that COVID infections, not the vaccine, 
can cause problems with the placenta. To clarify, this wasn't my midwife's opinion, and I am planning on speaking to her about this at our next appointment. I have tried to find more information regarding this on my own, but I've had no success. Are you too familiar with this, or can you shed any light on this issue? Should we stop there for just a second? Sure. Let me just comment on yep. that. Um, we don't my, know. Well, my understanding, well, we do know that the vaccine does, but my understanding is that the, the infection also does. Yeah. But this, I think of- I think things have changed a lot. I've said this before since COVID in terms of what we're seeing even at home with both vaccinated and unvaccinated uh, people and whether they've had COVID or not had COVID even. Oh, but that maybe from the shedding. From shedding. Right. Yeah, we just don't know. Right. Enough, I don't but, I, but, but when she said that COVID infections cause it, but not the vaccine, right. that's right. absolutely not true. Right. There is irrefutable data now that suggests that the vaccine does cause problems with the syncytial trophoblast. Can we link some of the information? Yeah, I, yeah, I can try to, I can try okay. to find those articles. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I have an unbelievable repertoire of sources that I go to. So I like everything else in my life, not everything else in my life, some of my, some of my life is actually quite organized, but, but a lot of things are not okay. <laughs> like which podcast, you know, did we talk about this or that or the other thing? So, all right, keep, keep going. Okay. I've had two known COVID infections, 2020 and early 22, and then had a slight cold unknown if it was COVID at about six weeks gestation. She mentioned that I should get a late pregnancy ultrasound to check the placenta. Now, what would we be checking okay, for? Okay, so let me talk for a second. First of all, the idea that you know or, not, or don't know that something's COVID is, is ridiculous anymore. If you have a cold, you have a cold. The idea that for some reason we got conditioned to people when you sniffle, they say, did you get a COVID test? Like, why? What difference does it make? It doesn't. A COVID is the best. Now know that COVID is probably no worse than the flu. I know, but society-wise. Well, screw them. But you can't when you're a provider. Because if you gave somebody COVID versus a cold, it would be very it would be very different for most people. There are some people that would not feel that way. They'd feel like you feel. But that's well, on the, the other minority. hand, yes, I think you're true. I think that's true. And I do back off slightly on that. But I, yeah. w- I would say to you this. If you are sick, don't go to work. <laughs> okay. Cancel your podcast. Right. Right. Even though we're, we were virtually then. But I'm just saying, if you don't feel good, stay home. Yeah. But the idea that you have to determine whether something is COVID or not because you have a cough or sniffles or lose your sense of taste, what difference does it make? You're going to treat yourself the same way. This is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Right? At this, I, at I this point, you. at this point, I'm not talking three years ago. Yeah, I hear you. Okay. Go on, keep reading. Okay. Oh, and then you said talk about getting an ultrasound to check on the placenta. What would you look for? Grade three placenta. Uh oh. I just don't know. You know what you know what that means. Nothing. It means nothing. Yeah. I just don't know that they're gonna really be able to show you anything. And this is a mid coming from a midwife on an ultrasound that would change because you know, as I've said before, like you don't want to do tests and procedures. Unless it's going to, no, you're going to find something. You're going to find something on that late ultrasound that's going to make somebody worry and it's going to make more more need for testing, and it will it'll pick pile on, and people will eventually want to get induced because they've been scared into it. That's what's going to happen. There's no real advantage as for routine screening of a placenta. No. Right. Okay. Keep reading. Uh, okay. So the sonographer. The sonographer, too, said that it causes issues in the placenta. I've heard of the vaccine causing this issues, but not the infection. We do, Yeah, we discussed that. Uh-huh. With the lack of information 
that recommendation just doesn't sit well with me for a couple of reasons. First, ultrasound exposure. Second, inaccurate readings that take away my home birth needlessly. Good. Your instincts yeah, are right on. Smart, yeah. Right. I just want to know if this is something I should worry about. I always tell people when people ask me, should I worry about this? I'm yeah. like, no. no. Even if it's something that you need to pay attention to and you might need to address, the worrying, although I know it's not always easy, the worrying doesn't, it's not helpful. It's harmful. Yeah, it's harmful. It's not just not helpful. It's, har- right. it's harmful. Yeah. You're bathing your baby in anxiety producing. And yourself. Hormones. Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. So thanks, Chelsea, for that. I, I wrote down, by the way, when you talked about the ultrasound in the third trimester, the prognostic uncertainty of ultrasound will lead to anxiety and interventions. Yeah. That's what's going to And happen. she says, I appreciate your wisdom, but I want to say, Chelsea, that you have wisdom. It's right there. You just wrote it in this letter. You know, instinctually inside of yourself, what the truth is for you. And that's the most important thing. Okay. Okay. All right. More on the, on the theme of a big being worse. Okay. So this one. <laughs> Caveat. Most of the time. Most of the time. Right. Well, we, we always say, don't say always or never. <laughs> but you do. Oh, I know. <laughs> well, I do it for I do it for emphasis. Oh, okay. And to and to be a little bit caustic, to be a little bit, you know. You want to be caustic? Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I, somebody has to stir up some mud. This is true. Right. It, there's too many things that are that are going on that are bad in our profession to just sit idly by or a- just absolutely or just, you know have a have a sip of tea and discuss it well you know my my thing is before something and against nothing kind of like my philosophy in life before something mm-hmm. and against nothing yeah i didn't make it up it was my minister but yeah, yeah so that's I, how I, I look at things i find that difficult because there's a lot <laughs> of there's a lot of things to be against yeah got it i'm just saying that's one of our that's one of our beautiful balances right yes 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 our yin and yang <laughs> yin and yang but i said it back <laughs> on purpose okay but, by the way, you want to know something? That is a good cup of coffee. Nice. See, <laughs> finally, she's like coffee. But I have to take the cover off because the plaster. Yeah, because it comes out too slowly. <laughs> what is it with that? I mean, that's that's so you don't spill it on your lap and, and when you're and driving in your car. McDonald's, right? All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about our sponsor, Needed. We love them. They have an amazing company. And you know what, you guys? Your prenatal nutrition isn't cutting it. So they redesigned the prenatal vitamin for you to be optimally nourished. They came out with a new product. I mean, I just feel like every time I turn around, they've got a new amazing product. And this one is an immune support. It's easy to take delicious elderberry powder to support optimal immune health for the whole family. You know, I was hiking the other day and I saw an elderberry bush. You recognized it? Of course not. <laughs> no. Really impressed. No, but the midwife I was with recognized it right away. Um, 70% of the immune system resides in the gut. So comprehensive support is needed. Most immune support products aren't designed for all ages and stages. Their immune support is safe and effective for the whole family kids, pregnant, and nursing moms included. So that is perfect for our followers. Yeah, so go to their website at uh, thisisneeded.com and look through their products. I mean, not only do they have a prenatal vitamin, uh, which we recommend, but they have sleep and relaxation support, stress support, hydration support, collagen, a pre and probiotic, which I think is a good thing um, for a lot of us to be taking, especially if you have immune issues or if you uh, had recently taken antibiotics or something like that. They have a whole thing for men, so you can men can look at that at their website as well. 
So again, we love their we love their sponsor. And what makes them different is optimal nutrient forms, dosages that help you thrive, easy to take at all stages of pregnancy. They were formulated with practitioners and they're recommended by over 3,000 women health experts just like us. And I was going to say that. <laughs> I stole your... You stole it. No. Okay. So go to thisisneeded.com. Just spell it out and use the code birthing instincts to get 20% off your first order. This is needed.com. I think you get 20% off every order, but just, mm-hmm. just uh, use the code word birthing instincts at this is needed.com. Thanks, needed. Thank you. Okay. So this is from Anonymous. And it's about a birth center and it's about a problem of getting big. So I wrote down this of becoming a factory. So mm-hmm. I've been a student midwife for years, working only in private home birth practices. I recently was offered a position at a high volume, high volume, standalone. CPM led birthing center that has the call schedule and has rotating shifts of several midwives. Yep. To have my call days scheduled out in advance was very attractive. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. It almost seemed too good to be true. It With is. young children at home, knowing which days I needed childcare seemed like a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Also, the thought of it being so high volume and getting in my numbers as a student was quote unquote. Yep. Yeah. And experience in a condensed way was appealing. Yeah. That's like some people will go off to La Luz and El Paso or something. With Augustine. Right. Some people used to go to one. And there was one that used to be in I think, Utah. Mm-hmm. It was a big, yeah, mm-hmm. busy ones. Um, however, over the last month, I have seen all but one of the eight moms whose labor I have attended at this birth center be transferred to the hospital. So seven out of eight. And the one mother who actually birthed at the birth center had a pretty significant hemorrhage and a few other complications that I've rarely seen in my couple years in the home birth setting. Most moms were transferred for pain relief and or, quote, stalling, unquote, of labor. Aside from the mother's my call days being transferred. Other students who are on opposite call days have had several transfers as well. Last night, the rooms were filled in the birth center, and I felt like a nurse going back and forth between rooms, juggling several mamas and not being able to spend time with them. I almost began to cry, missing my private practice midwife and thinking, quote, what have I done, unquote. While the label birthing center sounds really lovely, I have not got to witness many births at this at all this month. I assume the CPM's practice is a true midwifery model of care. However, this is not what I'm seeing. In my eyes, it is more of a mini hospital aesthetic with aesthetic decorations and fancy bathtubs. Mm. I fully believe the quick 15-minute appointments That's yeah, and only meeting some of the midwives once or twice before birth, along with the obvious of leaving your home to birth, is causing so many emotional dystocias. It's a really good term. I like yep. that term. Yep. In these poor mamas, it has been so hard to watch, and I am 99% sure I'm going to give my notice of leaving. I can, in good conscience, continue my training here in a fear of being brainwashed into caring this way. I value and bliss's perspective greatly, and I wanted to know if you've seen this type of model go awry, or if it is really is just the midwives themselves. Any encouragement or words of wisdom you could give me, and if you believe stepping away or sticking it out is the right thing, would really bless me. I'm endlessly inspired by you, too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that's a, that's a sincere... That's- and pray that I can serve women and families the way you two do someday. You oh, will, and you are, because it. you have the right mindset. I love it. So that's that's from Anonymous. Yeah. So what do you? What's your thought? Well, you know, I owned a birth center for many years, and our heart, especially Alex and I, was really in the right place. Uh, wanting there were no birth centers in LA at the time, so we really did want to create something very similar to the model that we had practiced and that I had been served in un- under the previous midwifery practice. However, when things get bigger and you have more midwives that are working together, it, yeah, it does sound really appealing. I mean, having shift work and being off call and having a team to support you and all of that stuff is, is really attractive. 
It is, you know, it's interesting. Let me interject for a second. Mm -hmm. It is a better lifestyle. I talk about it with physicians too. The, one of the things, the worst things that I think had happened in medicine for, for patients was the corporatization of medicine. Mm -hmm. One of the best things that happened for people for their lives was doctors being employees working a shift, knowing when they're on and knowing when they're off. But it's not better for medicine. No. Right. Yeah. So I intentionally started a small home birth practice because I wanted to be able to, <laughs> to be a person who heals or exerts a healing influence. Yeah, this, new, this model is not is not conducive, to, conducive to a healing influence. I mean, I think that you can do some of that still, but you're right. The 15 minute appointments, the not getting the continuity of care and the deep intimacy that you create with one or maybe two midwives together. It is very different leaving your home. And again, this... just leaving your home and the energy of having maybe four or five, I don't know how many rooms they have in their birth center, but having knowing that there's three, four, five other women laboring in the same birth center, you have to know that when you yeah. walk in there, unless yeah. there's five different entrances. Yeah. And you know what I love about this and that last letter too, is that she knows, she knows the truth for herself. And I think that that's one of the things that we keep trying to like, in terms of physiologic birth and all of that instill in you. And think something that I work with my clients during pregnancy with is trusting yourself, trust your instincts. And I love that you respect our opinion, but you know the truth for yourself, but training. But it's nice to hear an affirming. Sure. Voice. I mean, yeah. whenever I hear somebody right back and that you respect and trust. Yeah, just, and just just affirm that we're doing it makes me feel good. And you know, and we need affirmation all the time. It's <laughs> true. But in terms of your training, and I've said this before on the podcast, it's as important to see what you don't want to do and what how you don't want to practice as how you do want to practice. So I think that this experience for her is invaluable because she's able to see Maybe some things that like, just like when we built the birth center, you know, we had this idea of how it was going to be. And then the reality of how things actually turned out uh, is different. However, this is a very high transfer rate that you're talking about. So that I think is more specific to this practice itself, because I don't think most birth centers will transfer more than home birth midwives, just because the clientele that will think that a birth center is more appropriate, it's kind of the middle of the road maybe aren't as, I don't want to say committed because that just sounds judgmental and that's not what I mean, but they have a different level of yeah. yeah commitment to staying rather than kind of the in-between. So that's always the case, but this specifically seven out of eight births, that's a very- it's, It sounds like the, it's the mentality of the people running the birth center that yeah. they think that happened. Yeah. It's both. She says, would you step away or would you stick it out? And I would say, do what's best for you. If you need numbers, you might want to stick it out knowing because you know you already know what's right. So it somehow you might want to stick it out because that the better way of getting your numbers and getting yourself out there in private practice of it sooner. Yeah, but that's not always the best thing. No, I'm not saying it's the best. Yeah. She has yeah. to do what's best for her. Yeah. Some people would say I can't, you know, I like like Lindsay used to say I I had to leave labor and delivery because yeah. I felt like I was witnessing a crime all the time. Yeah. Accomplice to a crime. Yeah. If that's the way you feel and you're not feeling and you're feeling smarmy when you come home, then <laughs> then you gotta get out of there. Yeah. All right. Moving on quickly. This is a real short one. Yeah. Uh, there was a paper that came out that, that showed for VBACs that castor oil for labor induction in women with a previous cesarean section actually had a benefit. The conclusion was castor oil appears to be an effective, low-cost, and non-harmful method for the initiation of labor in patients with a previous cesarean section. Or Not, anybody. Yeah, or anybody. But mm -hmm. they, they were specifically in this case. Their numbers are small. There were 70 pregnant women in the study. There were half were randomized here and half are randomized there. 
The only issue I have with this, and of course, you and I talked about it before, yeah. was the fact that that the in the methods they talk about castor oil was administered to group A, 60 milliliters of sunflower oil was administered to group B. Oh, 60 milliliters of castor oil was administered as the group A, and sunflower oil was the, the placebo. For initiation of labor at the start of week 39, primary outcomes were the percentage of women entering the active phase of labor within 24 hours after receiving the castor oil or placebo and the number of successful VBAC deliveries. So what's wrong with that sentence, of course, is... The 39 weeks. The 39 weeks. Yeah, yeah. Why are we inducing people at all at 39 weeks? Right. Yeah. Period. Yeah. End of story. So castor oil works. Which we but, know. But, we but, didn't need a study, but well, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they need a study because they're they're medical people and they mm-hmm. can't cross the street unless they have a study that tells them <laughs> it's safe to cross the street. All right. Um, this is a quick one on uh, on aspirin. The the was a study that came out that shows that using aspirin for people that have high risk for preeclampsia, which does have some benefit, but if you if you give them aspirin through the 24th to the 28th week and then stop it, it doesn't seem like it causes any greater risk. So the idea that you have to take it all the way to 36 weeks or 37 weeks or whatever else doesn't seem to be any benefit. Hmm. Now, the reason I brought I wanted to bring this up is people say, well, why do you trust this study? You don't trust that study. Right. Okay. My bias, this is this is my bias. Why do I believe this paper? and maybe suspicious about the other paper because they're recommending less intervention. Okay. So a paper that comes out that recommends less intervention mm-hmm. means somebody's not making money. Well, that's true with castor oil too, though. That's but, they're, but they're still inducing them at 39 weeks. Yeah, but with castor oil versus Pitocin. True. Right? Well, I, we agreed with that study. I just yeah. didn't agree with the premise of yeah. being at 39 weeks. Yeah. But, but why why that study and why do I think the ARRIVE trial or the yeah. term breach trial, I, you know. But this one, I believe, because they're saying, Stop inter- intervening. Stop the intervention sooner. That seems to me to make sense. So that's a one way to sort of sort through the quagmire of which articles to believe, which articles don't. Articles that that offer a possibility of less intervention or somebody not making money, they can come to work for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but because um, uh, we're yeah we're we're experts at not making money. Did I ever tell you a story when when my partner Dave Klein was alive? Um, I don't know. It's about okay. So the U.S. government, in all its wisdom, back in the in in the 2010 era, before Dave passed away, was offering stipends to farmers to not grow corn or not raise pigs. Mm-hmm. So Dave Klein was, who was a humorist among his other talents, he said, wrote a letter to them saying, interested in, in uh, of growing of having 30 acres of not growing corn i want to be subsidized for that mm-hmm. and i'm not going to raise pigs so i want to be subsidized for that <laughs> so the government is paying farmers not to do something mm-hmm. all right never mind that's just way off the top <laughs> away okay. but it's okay right. i made you laugh okay yeah all right so let's just see what we have left here i think we got one letter left all right can we do that okay all right but i got, want to prepare yeah one. yeah we've got one letter left okay, okay. This is from Jenna, and it's a Canadian birth story. So I just, I love when we get international letters. Yeah, supposedly we 87% of our downloads are from the U.S. The US so we got we to gotta spread that to the rest of the world. We do. Yeah, spread the love. I, I'm surprised at that, though, that it's that, because we got a big following in some European countries in Australia. I know that for a fact. Less than 13%. I guess it's less than 13 <laughs> Well, you know, I think we've grown immensely in in the United States. But this is a good time for me to remind you guys that it really does help the podcast 
And, and the intention of the podcast is to get this information out to as many people as possible. So please subscribe and share episodes with your friends and ask them to subscribe because it helps other people find the podcast. Okay. Okay. So last story before we end for the day. This is from Jenna. She says, my mom had four cesarean births, which her doctor told her were, were necessary due to her tiny size and a first emergency C-section. I'm a very athletic person and I try to do things naturally. I like to avoid the hospital as unnecessary medicine as much as I can. I started doing a lot of research and found out that an unmedicated birth would be the best way to heal quickly and get back into fitness. Again, another wise listener. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think about the benefits to my baby until much later in my pregnancy. In Ontario, midwives are part of the healthcare system, which is a blessing and a curse. They are free, unquote. And then she writes parentheses, is anything free when you're being taxed over 50%? No. <laughs> I know. Isn't that, isn't that classic misdirection in marketing? I was going to say marketing. Yeah. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. But since they have been a part of the system for so long, they are often medwives. All right. So I was assigned a team of four midwives, two of which shamed me for not getting COVID shots, and all four desperately tried to convince me to get multiple growth scans through my pregnancy. The only reason I was able to confidently say no to multiple vaccines and necessary tests was because I was educated and I knew my arguments well. Again, this is a theme that we about our podcast. And, and when I hear people say, I knew my arguments well and I was educated, mm -hmm. that makes me feel great. It does. I don't know that that came from us, but makes me feel great anyway. Let's use it as marketing. Okay. <laughs> when I told them my birth plan, when, when I told them my birth plan, one of the midwives even said that it was very uncommon for first-time moms to be able to withstand the pain, and she highly recommended fentanyl at the minimum. Luckily, I ended up with the best midwife on the team. I went into labor. I labored with my husband and doula at home for over 40 hours. When I got to the hospital, the anesthesiologist apparently joked to my midwife, and this is a common thing, that he would be waiting just outside the door for when I needed my epidural, my midwife, my midwife replied, Jenna's not going to need you. I know. I love that. Yeah. She also ignored hospital protocol to cut off pushing after two hours yep. and let me push for three hours, resulting in an unmedicated vaginal birth. I'm sure your midwife probably got reprimanded on Monday morning. <laughs> no, but this is one of those things. It's like the hospital has a policy of two hours because we all know that all women will deliver their baby within two hours. Yeah. All of them. Of course. It's, it was Especially it, the... First time moms, of yeah. course they will. Right. However, my little girl aspirated as she was moving through the birth canal, and after checking her oxygen level, she was taken to the NICU. Luckily, she was only in the NICU for six hours. I'm wondering how mm -hmm. myself, you got that face. Mm -hmm. People can see her face. You can see my face. Yeah, I can see your face. That, yeah, it really, she, she had to go to the NICU thing, right? Mm -hmm. She couldn't have just stayed on mom and couldn't have oxygenated her and watched the baby a little bit more longer. Right. Because if she's only in NICU for six hours, it resolved pretty quickly. Yeah. Anyway, I have a few questions. I understand if you're not able to get to them all, and we're not. We're going to get to a couple of them. So because of the aspiration, my husband is extremely reluctant to have any future home births. How do I persuade him otherwise? How would you talk to a husband who, well, I'm just who saw that? The normal unmedicated physiologic birth where a baby aspirates in the vaginal canal. Well, I think they're using the wrong terminology. I think the baby probably just was to Kipnik or something like that. And they, again, they, they overreact. Mm -hmm. You push the button on the wall and in come five people Yeah, with all their little machines that go beep. Yeah. So I'm trying to imagine exactly what happened with the baby through your description. But what I would say is those things are not repetitive. And as Dr. Stu was just pointing to, a lot of what was done in the NICU could have been done right on you and could be done at home with a watchful eye, right. you know, because we usually stay 
you know, I stay four to six hours depending on what's happening with the baby. And if after six hours, we were still having some sort of issue, then we might recommend to go to the hospital to be watched. But that's not a reason to not be able to have your home birth. Right. It's it's hard to undo the, the damage that's done at a hospital when they overreact to things. Now, sometimes like a broken clock, they're right and they did the right thing. And we don't know for specifically whether that was the case here or not. Yeah. But just from experience, I would say that there was probably an overreaction and the baby was taken away for, for not really a good reason, something that we would manage at home yeah. pretty straightforwardly. Sure. So my, my thought was, I wrote down that, you know, your husband, this is his lived experience. So he needs to be able to talk, talk through, through that. Yeah. Right. Uh, probably um, confounded by the doctor's response. In other words, you know, he's probably trusting in in the medical model and the and the NICU doctor or the or the pediatrician or something said something to him afterwards, like, you know, thank God you're in the hospital, sure. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so that stuff has to be worked worked through with him. And it, and, it, and something you guys can do together with a good midwife in the in a future mm-hmm. in a future pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Probably before you get pregnant would be a good time to address it, actually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Second question. Due to my long labor, I was unable to support my weight and ended up pushing on my back. Is there any way to avoid this? I feel like it contributed to my tearing, but I was so tired, my options were limited. What do you think about that? Well, you could you could push on your side. You could push on a stool with support, someone holding you up from the back. You could, if you were on a hospital bed, you can lift up the back and be on your hands and knees and drape the front of your body over the back. So you're still being supported. You're not having to like stand up and use all of your weight to like- Right, and something. if you're at home, you can be in water. Pushing. You can be in water. Yeah, you can be in the tub. Yep. Yep. Being in the tub, you, you know, you're much- more buoyant. Yeah. And Plus, if you had a vaginal delivery this time, which you did, the likelihood that your second delivery is going to go much faster. And, you know, it just won't be the same birth. That's the thing to remember is that even though you're the same person, the birth is going to be way different. So. And then one of the last things she says, I never felt the urge to push. She didn't have an epidural. Mm-hmm. That happens sometimes. But I never, it's I, rare. Yeah. Had a cervical lip for three hours that eventually the midwife decided to push over so I could be fully dilated. I knew from research that I should have taken a break and waited to push until I felt I had to. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe get up and get a walk around and, you know, without the epidural, do some different things, get in the shower, maybe have some alone time with your husband. She says, I was laboring for 50 hours. I just wanted it to be over. Oh, I get it. Yeah, we get it. But that's, (laughs) that's a good reason to actually, if the baby's fine and you're fine to take a break. Yeah. And that would be a good, great time to like get the shower, get something to eat, get the shower in the tub. Yeah. Just take a break for a little bit. Dance party. Because eventually, almost always, never always. Right that the baby will come down and you'll get that fetal ejection or yeah and then you don't push as long okay jenna so we answered like three of your questions and that's that's about all we had time for today so listen it's so great to sit next to you yeah and do you feel good because we we emptied a lot of that stuff out of your brain now you feel a little bit more my 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 brain is hollow right now (laughs) because we got through almost everything on my on my list so love you We'll uh, we'll be back next week. Please support our sponsors. We we love our sponsors. We do, and we love all of you. And I am really in awe of the fact that you guys take an hour or an hour plus out of your week every week to listen to us because it is um, we are so busy. And I look at my podcast feed, and I like there's so many things I want to listen to, and I just I just can't. So thank you for listening to us. Bye bye. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 